Well, we start a new sermon series today for Advent called Do Not Be Afraid. Uh, and the, the title for the series is lifted from the angel's message uh, to a couple different people in the first chapter of Luke. If you're more familiar with the Bible, you might recall those experiences that when an angel shows up or someone has an encounter with God that's very profound, often the first message, the first talking point is, do not be afraid. And there's a reason for that because we tend to freak out. I mean, can you imagine actually being visited by an angel? I found myself wondering why it is that we freak out. And I think if we're honest, it's probably because the vast majority of the time we're living as if God isn't real or as if God was only a religious idea. But suddenly, we're confronted with unmistakable evidence that God is real. And our initial reaction, right? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So that's the big thought for Advent. Today we think about not being afraid to hold hope when life is uncertain. Let's listen to the scripture. The scripture this morning is taken from Luke 1, 26 to 45. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judah, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women 
and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Tim Keller asks this question in his great little book, Hidden Christmas. If you haven't read that, I recommend it. Why does Luke tell us so much about how Mary responded to the incarnation? And uh, if you know the Bible a little bit more, maybe you've noticed that. It's true. In Luke's gospel, there's a ton of stuff about Mary. Just Mary, Mary, Mary. In fact, one of the verses we read this morning, verse 28, is the foundation of the Roman Catholic Hail Mary prayer. There's a lot about Mary here. One commentator observed that in the New Testament, besides Jesus, only John the Baptist is praised as much as Mary. So why so much about Mary? Keller answered his own question. Why does Luke tell us so much about how Mary responded to the incarnation? I believe it is largely to hold her up as a model of what responsive Christian faith looks like. Meaning, Mary is a model of how we might respond to Jesus. Now, I wasn't raised in the church, but I remember a time in my life uh, when I thought religious people were naive, choosing to put their uh, trust in something both mythical and unbelievable because for some reason they needed a crutch uh, to get through life. And I, I think many skeptical people assume the same thing I did. That to believe that to have faith in Jesus, you have to check your brain at the door. But no one can accuse Mary of checking her brain at the door, at least certainly not based on the passage we just read. Hers is a realistic response to the possibility of God. And look at it. After the angel's greeting, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Two important words in that verse, both of the verbs was greatly troubled and wondered. Was greatly troubled means to disturb wholly. It has a sense of being in a place of balance but suddenly thrown off balance. I think a a modern uh, equivalent might be, uh, it threw me for a loop, right? It rattled me to my core. Mary was greatly troubled and she wondered which means to reckon thoroughly. It's, it's not kind of a wondering about rainbows and unicorns. It's a wondering that's doing the math. It means to make an audit. It's an accounting word, says one commentator. Uh, the commentator said this, it means to be adding things up, weighing and pondering, to be, quote, intensely rational. There's no checking of the brain at the door here. See, Mary shows us that responding in faith to Jesus requires both mind and heart. It's a whole person response, not a partial person response. We don't leave part of ourselves behind and respond to Jesus with just half of us. Mary was confronted with an angel. She had to be thinking, of course, any human being would. What is this? What am I seeing? Am I, is this a hallucination? Am I dreaming? What's going on here? It was disturbing to her core, threw her for a loop, right? 
and the math didn't add up. So she had some reasonable doubts, and she asked a question. She didn't immediately accept the message. She asked, how will this be? Now, again, if you're more familiar with the Bible, you might be remembering a similar angelic visitation just before the story we read today in Luke is the story where an angel visited Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. And remember, uh, they were, Zechariah and Elizabeth were in their old age, and the angel said, hey, you're going to have a, a, a baby. And Zechariah said, hey, how can I know this is going to happen? Because I don't think so. And because Zechariah doubted, he was unable to speak for the entire pregnancy. Remember that? He got zapped for his doubt. And that has led some people to think that all doubt is bad. You know, you get this strain sometimes in some arms of the church. You should have faith and never doubt. If you have doubts, just act like you don't. And don't talk about it. Maybe they'll go away. But the Bible's view of doubt is much more nuanced than that, gladly. Uh, because you and I both know we all have doubts. The real question is, what kind of doubt is it? See, I, I, I take this Zechariah Mary thing. Mar Mary didn't get zapped for her doubt, right? Maybe that means there's good doubt and bad doubt. Good doubt comes from not understanding God fully, not understanding the world we live in fully, and it leads to real questions that seek real answers. Bad doubt, maybe, comes from being closed to the possibility of God and uses intellectual objection as an excuse to avoid earnest exploration. Listen to Keller again. There's a kind of doubt that is the sign of a closed mind and there is a kind of doubt that is the sign of an open mind. Some doubt seeks answers and some doubt is a defense against the possibility of answers. There are people like Mary who are open to the truth and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than what they thought. And there are those like Zechariah who use doubts as a way of staying in control of their lives and keeping their minds closed. Which kind of doubt do you have? See, Mary's response to Jesus is a model for us. She heard the word of the angel, the messenger of God. She was floored, rattled, threw, threw for a loop, right? Very disturbed by the message. Rather than turning her brain off, she shifted it into high gear, started doing the math. Thus, it was a combination of evidence and experience that led her to faith. Which, by the way, is exactly how people come to faith today. It must be this. It can't be anything other. You can't leave your head behind. You can't leave your heart behind. You can't leave your experiences in the world behind to believe something you think is really unbelievable that doesn't explain the world. This is a whole person response. Now, Mary's faith didn't all emerge at once. It, it came in stages. And I think this is pretty normal for people. Right? There's, no, there's no single way to come to faith in Jesus as much as some might like to say there is. This just looks different for different people. If you ask 100 people, you'll get 100 different explanations of how they came to faith in Jesus. Some have very dramatic conversion stories. Paul on the Damascus Road, boom, wow. Uh, others have slow, methodical, sometimes even painful kind of struggle 
in, in their journey of faith. Much like a Christian, the pilgrim, in John Bunyan's classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a bit autobiographical. Bunyan was himself uh, on the slow train to faith. He spent nearly a year and a half, as I understand it, just struggling, wrestling with God before he came to faith in Christ. It's a process, and it's different for everybody. And, and in this passage, I think we see some stages. These might not be the same for everybody, but they rang true for me in my journey. Maybe they'll help you. The first stage was measured incredulity. <laughs> I'm borrowing these from Keller, too. He's so good. At least stage one and stage two. The third one's mine. Mary heard the words of the angel, and to put it colloquially, she thought, this is crazy town. There's no way. This is, this is inconceivable. There is, there's no way this is possible. Now, I think this is a really important step in earnest, real faith in Jesus. Because if you've never wrestled with the incredible, almost unbelievable nature of the gospel and thought to yourself somewhere on the inside, this is crazy town. I don't know if you've ever really understood it. Because it's crazy. Right? I mean, it is okay to say, this is, this is mind-blowing. Um, I, I, know, I know I had this experience. Uh, it was a Bible study in college. I went to Miami of Ohio. I started attending a Bible study my senior year. I was seeking, though I, didn't, I wouldn't have used that word. I didn't know what that was, but I was interested. We were studying the Gospel of Mark toward the uh, end of the year, we were looking at the beginning of Mark again and came across this passage. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Our, our Bible study leader from a, a seminary down in Cincinnati had just been to Israel and had visited Capernaum. And he went on to explain that the archaeological digs there have uncovered the footings of the old synagogue during Jesus' day and, and footings of some of the homes during Jesus' day. And he talked about going right up there and looking at where the synagogue was and then kind of walking out into the main road and walking down to where the homes are. And while we don't know uh, where it was exactly. We've got a pretty good bet at where the house was, where Simon and Andrew lived, to which the Bible is referring to here. Man, I still remember the feelings, the thoughts. That threw me for a loop. I had no idea that the stories in the Bible were connected to actual history and real places in the world. No clue. Just, just none. I had always assumed the stories of the Bible were fictional, made-up spiritual stories for religious people who needed that kind of thing. No idea they were connected to history. So, like Mary, I was troubled wholly. And the very next thing that happened, I didn't check my brain at the door. My brain shifted into high gear. The audit started happening. 
right? Like, wait, wait a second. What? If this, okay, if there's the synagogue and there's the house, and you can actually go over there and see it and touch that thing and walk down here and touch the stone at the house, that means they actually walked from here to there. So what does that mean about all the rest of the stories in the Bible? Are those as connected to history as well? What does that mean about the stuff the Bible says about Jesus? This is crazy town, right? Measured incredulity, next step, simple acceptance. After asking for an explanation, Mary moved from measured incredulity to simple acceptance. Here's how she said it. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And she didn't understand it. There's no, no clear aha moment like, hey, I saw the light. She wasn't saying, oh, now I get it. Now, now the next step is easy. This was more, I still don't understand, but okay. This resonates with me. I don't know if it does with you. It's a big part of my journey as well from that Bible study moment learning about Capernaum until the following summer, kind of wrestling with things. I was working up in northern Michigan, Elk Rapids. I've told this story before. Fifth regulars might know it. I was at the third dock at White Birch Lodge reading my Bible. I always liked the Proverbs. They just kind of made sense to me. So I just went down after the work day, was reading my Bible on the dock and started at the beginning of Proverbs. I thought, these always make sense. I'm just going to start here. Made it through Proverbs 1 and 2. Went to Proverbs chapter 3. Classic verses there, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And suddenly it made sense. That verse doesn't say, believe your heart and check your brain at the door. That says, after you've engaged this whole message with both your heart and your brain, there will be a time you need to take a step forward prior to understanding everything. And it, it just all clicked. It, that made sense to me, that part of it. Because if God is real, it makes sense that I'm not going to have the whole thing figured out before I need to take a step forward. Seem, right? That seems logical. See, it was the moment I had to lay down my need to understand before I would trust. Sometimes the only thing we can do is what Mary did, to submit and trust despite all our hesitations and fears. Simple acceptance. That path might not be what we want nor what we would choose, but it might be exactly what we need. And then the third stage, trusting reliance. When Mary visited Elizabeth and Zechariah, Zechariah still couldn't talk, right? He was still under the zap mode thing. The pregnancy was still in process. Mary must have heard that story about the angel that visited him and all that, all that happened. And then this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. 
See, Elizabeth's message confirmed what the angel had said to Mary. And, and something in Mary's faith locked in. Right? It went from simple acceptance to, oh, I, I, get, I can give my whole self now. And, and this is the Bible's vision of faith. It's giving ourselves to God. This is all that Christians mean by coming to faith in Jesus. Yes, you believe in Jesus in your head, but you're shifting your whole life reliance from whatever it is you're tempted to trust in to Jesus alone, Christ alone. That's the biblical vision of faith. And it's all that God really wants. You don't have to have a huge religious checklist of stuff. I, when I was a pastor of a church back in Iowa, I had the opportunity to be on the, the Alpha US team. Alpha is a big, it's a great ministry that introduces folks to Jesus and, and the claims of the gospel. And in that capacity, I had the opportunity to travel to London where I met the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton Church in Brompton, which is the ritzy part of London, Herods of London, that's, that's in Brompton. And he was an elderly man at the time. Sandy Miller was his name. And I've got another whole story there, but delightful person. I left that experience thinking, you know, I don't know what it was like uh, to be around an apostle, but I bet it was something like this. Because the level of spiritual interaction with him was just profound. Um, that's, I'll tell that story another time. Later, Sandy Miller wrote a book, a little devotional book. He was telling the story of a time he was at a Christian conference. There was a particularly powerful time of worship. After that, he was feeling so thankful. He went for a walk in the woods and, and just found himself praying, Lord, you're so good. You're so good to us. You, you've given everything. So, Lord, whatever you ask of me, whatever you want, I will give to you. No matter how big it is, anything you want, I, I will give to you. And he, he said that in, that in that moment, he heard from the Lord, not an audible voice, but that, that strong impression in the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And what he heard was this. All I want is you. All I want is you. Friends, the Christian faith is really quite simple. God created everything, you and me included. We went sideways. God loved us so much, he didn't want to see that happen. So he came in person to make it right, to pay a debt he didn't owe on our behalf so that the way back to him could be very clear just, it's a gift of grace. We don't have to do a bunch of stuff. We simply come and give ourselves to God again because now we can. He's made the way open. And all the while, God is saying, all I want is you. Don't want your stuff. It's God's stuff anyway, right? All I want is you. Don't let doubt, the bad kind of doubt now, get in the way of that. 
this season. Martin Luther saw three miracles in Christ's nativity, that God became human, that the virgin conceived, and that Mary believed. And he saw the last of those as the greatest miracle. This, this Advent, do not be afraid to hold hope. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Don't be afraid to hold hope. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Don't be afraid to hold hope. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Do not be afraid to hold hope. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Don't be afraid to hold hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Would you uh, please replay in our hearts and minds and spirits the things that you are saying today? Help us not wriggle our way away from you. Um, Help us not avoid what you're saying. Open us and repeat, please, Lord. We want to receive everything you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.